Well, good morning, and um, welcome to this, um, what are we on, the third class of 13 on discipleship. And um, before we get started here, let's, with our material, let's begin with a word of prayer and ask God's help as we seek to understand these things. Lord, we come today with uh, hearts that are uh, full because of the work that Christ has done for us. We also come with hearts that are heavy because of the things that are going on in life. Several of the people in our church are are going through... Um, physical trials right now and perhaps others through spiritual trials and and so we pray for your grace um, we pray for your grace upon them as they would love to be here we pray for your grace upon us as we seek to grow and uh, use this new year as an opportunity for a new beginning time to uh, be resolved to to grow and to understand your word more clearly to love you more fully, to walk in faithfulness, and to um, advance the work that you're doing through this church. And Lord, we pray for our hearts today that you would uh, soften them to the truth of your word and, and that we would understand your word properly and apply it to our lives. We don't want to be hearers only, so we pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. We thought about discipling uh, generally, and we've seen that Jesus calls all people to disciple others. And um, we've looked at why we should disciple at all, uh, concluding that it is, it is immensely important for our joy, which is a good thing, and for God's glory. And in this class, we'll look at some barriers or excuses that we might make, that we might set up in our minds that that serve as walls to keep us from discipling, and we'll spend some time thinking about these concerns and how uh, the Bible ought to affect those concerns and actually overcome them. And um, at this point, it, it might be helpful to address those who don't think you have any barriers or excuses to discipling. Maybe you think, well, I, I, I'm just fine where I am. I'm doing discipling just fine. I'm fully on board with it. I, I'm intentional about it. And as much as we may like to intellectually assent that we uh, that we are disciplers, we want to be disciplers, um, I would argue that, that we could all be better disciplers. And so um, I hope this class will help you see that there might be some barriers that you hadn't thought of. Maybe they're in the back of your mind. Or maybe some barriers that are keeping you from fruitfulness and intentionally um, encouraging and lifting up other believers spiritually. And um, even if you, if none of these bar- barriers are new to you or something that would hinder you from discipling, I hope that it will encourage you at the very least to be a better discipler. So, thoughts and apprehensions that draw us away from discipling others. How might we convince ourselves, how might we rationalize in our minds that we should not disciple, that we should not take part in discipling others. It's easy for us to pass off the task of discipling with several excuses. And again, these may not all be in the front of our minds, but may still be very significant 
um, as far as how it affects our relationship. So let's look at some common excuses that people might have for not discipling and think about whether or not those are reasonable in light of the Scripture. Number one, I don't want to be in a position of authority. Sometimes people don't want to be placed in an authoritative position. And part of that is because of our culture. Our culture uh, promotes and breeds independence. Right? The, the best heroes in our culture are the ones who are the independent, the rogues, who kind of just go off like you know, Liam Neeson or, or um, you know, uh, Indiana Jones or something like that. The, the, these are the heroes of our culture. And, and so they're, they're, they tend to be these independents. They don't need anybody else. Okay? They just need to use their own skills. And, and so because of that, the notion of authority... And, and having authority is not very appealing in our culture. And even less so, the desire to teach and instruct others. I mean, how does the world describe authority? How do you think of authority? More importantly, how does uh, the, the Bible speak of authority? Turn to uh, John thirteen fourteen. John 13... 14 because we need to get past this idea that this idea that I can't disciple because I don't want to be in a position of authority people will look down on me um, uh, or people might think I'm using the authority in a wrong way I'm misusing it and so I don't want to be in that position so I'll just let them go their own way they can kind of be independent um, in Jesus we see the proper posture for one in authority and that is one of a loving service someone uh, loving servant someone read John 13:14 Okay so here we have the creator coming to the world taking on human flesh and not lording over his authority lording his authority over people as if uh He's better than they are. Actually, He comes with a posture of service where He is on His knees. Turn to Matthew 20. Okay, so He's saying, if I, the Master, am washing people's feet, the most despicable thing you could do, one of the most despicable things you could do, if I'm doing that, then how much more ought you to do that? you ought to have that position of service as well. That's really how Jesus shows His authority or uses His authority by serving others. Matthew 20, someone read verses 25. Uh, let me just set this up here before we read it. Um, two disciples are seeking favor from Jesus by sitting, you know, uh, we want to sit at your right hand in the kingdom. And Jesus responds by contrasting self-centered earthly authority with Christian authority. And the authority uh, that Jesus wants them to see is not self-centered, but it's others-centered. And in the case of Jesus, it, it actually meant giving up His life. That's how much it was not about Him. It was about other people. So someone read verses 25 to 28. Whoever wishes to be first among you 
Okay, so in in the culture, he's saying to the disciples, in the in the culture, the the Gentiles they like to lord their authority over people, but I tell you that's not the way it's supposed to be among you. Okay, it's not about your position, your authority, your rule. It's about service, because even the Son of Man did not come to be served. He didn't come saying, "Hey, here's all the things I need you to do for me, and bow down to me, and and that sort of thing." Instead, he came to serve, um, and that means that that um, sometimes we will be in positions of authority where we take the initiative, but biblical authority weds that initiative, which is good, which is a good thing, with service and humility. And so our attitude ought to be one of service, where we're not lording it over them when we disciple them. Rather, we're serving them, even if they don't see it that way. And so we should be very careful to have an appropriate view of our authority in these relationships. When you entrust someone with authority, um, unfortunately, sometimes that authority can be taken to an extreme, a wrong sort of extreme. And so we need to, uh, and that can be the case with us as well, when we are in positions of authority. And so we need to constantly remind ourselves that we are God's conduit of His truth. Remember the, the, the picture from a couple of weeks ago? or we had God's truth into the person. We're trying to get God's truth into the person. We're simply the pipe. We're, we're not any better than anyone else. We're simply a pipe or a, a conduit, a pipeline for which God can uh, dispense His truth. Um, certainly God can use us, but ultimately He's the one who has to do the work. And so in this position that you have of discipleship, you are in a position of leadership, a position of authority over that person, but... Don't think of it like um, uh, like a position where you need to coerce them into subjection or a, 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 a place where you have to force them into doing the right thing. Your job is one of certainly passing on the truth of God's Word to them, but doing it uh, largely through example and through, through, um, through your words. Um, and so when when we disciple people, we are actually serving them. And the reason I say that is because we're pointing them to God's Word. We want them to see God's Word, and that's the best thing for them. We'll talk about that more here in just a second. Any questions on excuse number one or comments? Number two, here's a second excuse that we have for not discipling. It's not right to turn friends into projects. Some people may object to discipling, saying, listen, if I engage in a relationship with another Christian that is deliberately focused on encouraging them spiritually, I'm trying to get them from one level of glory to the next level of glory, and I'm not doing having that friendship simply for the purpose of enjoying their company and their friendship as a primary goal, then I've reduced that friendship to a project. Now, all of a sudden, this isn't really about being friends. This is really not about being loving. It's about changing them. And to help us understand and deal with the second, second potential objection, it would help to think back to last week's lesson and ask ourselves this simple question. What is real biblical love and friendship anyway? Okay, that was actually two weeks ago. What is real biblical love and friendship? Anyone remember from John 15? 
John 15 is the vine and the branches. And what did Jesus do for us? Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide. Um, Verse 9 says, just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Uh, Abide in my love. And then verse 13, greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his what? His life for his friends. Okay, so what is real biblical love? Jesus says in John 15 that real love is when we love others as Jesus loved us. And His example is that He gave His life. And He did it for the sake of their well-being spiritually. Would anyone say that Jesus was disingenuous because He was treating people like a project? Right? Because, you know, really He wanted to change them. But but that's actually a, a claim that could be lobbed against Jesus and the same claim we could have lobbed against us when we're trying to disciple others and we could even lob against ourselves. It, you know, we can't disciple that person because we don't want to treat them as a project. And what I'm saying by the authority of the Scripture is that there is nothing more loving that you can do for another Christian than to encourage them in the faith, than to disciple them. There is nothing more loving that you can do. John 15.15 says, "I, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus was the authority of His followers, but He was also their friend. And while it's clear that He did love them in many ways, at this point He's opening up truth to them. Jesus saw His ministry as opening up spiritual truth to His disciples as a grand mark of friendship. In other words, the, the, way, the best way that I can show that I am your friend is by dispensing God's truth to you. Not by uh, approving of everything that they did. Right? Sometimes we like to be around people who just approve of everything that we do. But that's not Jesus. He's saying, no, the best thing for you is to point you to God's truth. Which means that sometimes there will be wounds. Right? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Because, why? Because, well, iron sharpens iron. Just as one friend sharpens another. Right? And sometimes it hurts to tell them God's truth. Sometimes it hurts when people tell us God's truth. And so that is not unloving. That is not unfriendly. That is actually the most friendly thing that you can do. Better to surround yourself with people who will tell tell you the truth than to surround yourself with people who will affirm everything that you do. The people who love you most are the ones who will tell you the truth. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Again, here in Ephesians 5, we see Christ's desire to set out to do good for all of His children as a, a mark of love and a pattern for us to follow. We're to live a life of love for others just as Christ lived for us. Now, it's true that 
like anything in a fallen world, we can twist even this, our authority, in a discipling relationship. It is possible for us to take a friend and treat them like a project. So I'm not saying that any time that you speak God's truth to them, you're doing it in a right way. Because obviously we can we can take God's truth and use it like a club on people rather than as a... Um, maybe a better uh, contrast would be we, we tend to use it like a, a knife to stab rather than a surgeon's scalpel to, to correct, to, to, to repair. Okay, so, so we can't always use God's truth in the right way. Uh, I should say we, we don't always do that. And so we can treat friends like projects, and that is a legitimate potential barrier, but we need to get past this and recognize that when done in the proper, with a proper attitude, dispensing God's truth to, to other believers is not treating them as a project. When done properly, it is the most friendly, most loving thing that we can do. Um, all right, any thoughts, questions on number two? Paul? All right, Ken. Yeah, that's a good that's a good observation. You know, sometimes it's easy to give up on people as friends. You know, even if we we take the project idea out of it, which I think that's what you're saying is we don't want to treat them like a project. But even as a friend, we want to see them grow spiritually, and we get to a point where it seems like we've hit a wall and we can't have any more influence on them, and so we just discard them, move on to somebody else, or just give up on them altogether. Um, To be a friend to someone, you need to point them to the Father. Help them to see the greater joy in repentance and obedience. So the best way to love someone is to do that. And that's why I love this church. Okay? It's not about uh, superficiality. It's about truth. Okay? It's about 
each one of us working together, pointing each other to the truth. And um, sometimes even when it hurts. All right, excuse number three. I don't feel like it or don't have time. We could make this excuse for any spiritual discipline that there is, uh, any study that we have in this um, series of, of classes. I don't feel like it and don't have time. We live in a busy town, in a busy state, in a busy country, in a busy time in the world where most of the lives around us and many of our own are full of, and, and, and overflowing even of relatively good things. Not necessarily just, you know, the people around us aren't all engaging in, uh, in, in um, Satanism or something like that, but they're, they're generally involved in good things. You know, they're caring for their kids, involved in their skill, kids' school programs, some kind of a community thing. And, uh, and we tend to do the same thing. And, and so, because of all these things, that we have all these even good things, um, we, we don't have time to disciple believers. What does that say about us? What does that say about our understanding of grace and love if we are hoarders of God's truth? Many times it helps to set the focus on things that really matter in life, the things that the Bible directs as being important. Um, and so, when we think about it, what did God put His uh, great work, what, what kind of great effort did God put to, to um, in this world? It is that he, he came to show that, or He sent Christ to show us that He loves us, that He cares for us, that He forgave us when we, when we come in repentance, that he, he wants to comfort us. And so, in the same way, we need to be thinking about what's most important. I mean, God, God could have spent all sorts of time, you know, teaching us about the the importance of finance or the importance of business or the importance of social relationships. But the primary thing that He came to do was to show us that He loved us. And I think we need to to spend great effort doing the same for other people, to show them that that God loves them. That that life is not full without Christ, and I hope you recognize that that everyone is not on the same. Uh, everyone doesn't understand that to the same degree. Some people don't understand that at all. They don't understand the importance of God's love. They don't understand the importance of a life of following Christ. And so, what can we do to help them to get there? What what can we do when we see someone, even in our own church, who seems to be seems to be, um, you know, walking on the edge of worldliness? What can we do? And I would say that to choose not to encourage them to live a life with Christ is unloving. To choose not to encourage them to live a life with Christ is unloving. So let me remove the negatives from that sentence and say it in a positive way. To challenge them to live their life with Christ as the center is the most loving thing that you can ever do for them. I mean, think about individuals who have encouraged you through your faith and who have challenged you to fight off sin. It may not have been fun at the time when they were challenging you, but when you look back on that and the influence that those people had on you, 
you're thankful for them. And you want to be around those kinds of people because they will tell you the truth. And, and sadly, as Christians, we can even be guilty of hoarding God's truth. But the Great Commission was never meant to stop with you. The Great Commission was never meant to stop with me. It has a spreading effect, doesn't it? It's meant to be passed on to other people. That's why Christ says, make disciples of all the nations. Okay, it's not meant to stop with us. And praise God that it didn't stop with the people who, uh, with the people who gave the gospel to us. Right? Think of the person from whom you received the gospel. What if the gospel stopped with them? Okay, what, what if it stopped with a few generations before them? And and um, you know who is it that that God is using, uh, or, or that God wants you to be a, have a, a part of their life so that the gospel can be spread to them? So so perhaps our problem is that that we we don't feel like it. But if that's the case, we we don't think properly about our own our own salvation, our own uh, reception of the gospel. What if our problem is time, though? This kind of goes along in the same point, uh, a problem of time. Um, maybe you feel like you, you have too busy of a schedule. Your schedule is just so insane that, that you can't even spend time to talk with a close friend about the things of God. Um, well, I would say that, that some of us do have schedules like that. And um, I think if, if you look carefully in your schedule you will find that there are times when you can um, that you can spend time with someone else sometimes it's, it's while you're doing something else you know take somebody to the to the store with you you know you, you're going to Lowe's grab somebody from the church and and use that as a time the time uh, while you're in the car together or something um, I don't know if you've ever considered how uh, static expectations can cause us to, to do less in the Christian life. When I say static expectations, um, an example of that would be with your quiet time. You know, for, for some people, if you can't do a, a 30 minute to one hour long quiet time with all the good things that you envision, including deep Bible study and extensive prayer and meditation, if you can't do that full 30 minutes to an hour, then you don't do it at all. And as a pastor, I can say that that's an incredibly unhelpful expectation. That if I can't do the whole thing, I'm not going to do it at all. That's static expectation. And many of us carry that a similar static expectation for our relationships. That you know we don't have time to do everything that's necessary for this person to move to where we think they need to go. It's going to require way too many conversations and long uh, hours of of thinking. And, and researching the Scriptures and pointing them. We just don't have time for that. And so as a result, what do we do? We do nothing. And, and um, so there, there are lots of ways that we can... I would say let's remove that idea Okay, that, that we have to get everything done. So since we do, um, you know, we can't get anything done because we just don't have that time. So let's get, get rid of that idea and let's say... Okay, there's something that we can do. What what is that something? And later on, we'll consider how uh, to study the Bible with one another, and how to pray together in in 
several classes from now. But if you don't have much time to prepare a, a discipleship relationship, maybe a formal one, consider how you can use just the teaching and preaching ministry at Ambassador as a basis for teaching and discipling relationships. I hope you understand the primary way that discipleship happens in the church is through the preaching of God's Word. That's the primary way that it happens. Okay, The, the very close second is through one another relationships. Okay, So, let's take the primary way that discipleship happens through the preaching and use that as a means to help other people grow. Okay, So, take some of the things that you're learning in this class. Meet up with them for lunch and discuss the content. Some, you know, Say, hey, why don't you come to the spiritual success class on discipling next Sunday with me? And then we'll talk about it at lunch following the service or later on in the week. Or what about if you just took one, one time during the week to discuss the Sunday morning or evening sermon? Okay, just, just meeting with someone to stimulate a discussion about um, content that someone else has already prepared is still good and helpful. You know, you, you can take what you've already learned and what you're already thinking about. That way you don't have to go and, okay, I need to do some brand new research on a passage of Scripture that's, that, that I haven't really thought about very carefully in the last couple of weeks. And now I have to, to, dis, to, dis, to uh, distill that down and then give it to them. And hopefully that will be helpful to them. Why don't you just take something that you're already learning together and talk about it? Ask some questions. Okay, so what I'm suggesting is, if you your excuse is, I don't have time, why don't you use some things that are already in place and just kind of piggyback those and, and use those as a means to, to help disciple other people? All right, we need to keep moving. Number four, I have nothing to teach. Excuse number four, I, I don't have anything that I can teach. Every Christian has at least one important thing to pass on to others, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, and this is not a class on evangelism, so you might be thinking, well, what's, what good is that? If they're already saved, why, how could that help them? But, but I hope that you recognize that the gospel is not just for unbelievers. The gospel is primarily for believers. It is something that, that affects us, that motivates us. Okay, the same gospel that brings us to salvation is the same gospel that sanctifies us on a daily basis. And so we need to think about its implications. That's one of the reasons, by the way, that we have the Lord's Supper. Okay, if the gospel was just for unbelievers, I don't think we would have the Lord's Supper. I don't think Jesus would have ever instituted it. He wants to remind us of what He has done for us and to motivate us to continue, continually serve Him and love Him. Turn to Titus Three. Throughout the book of Titus, Paul argues that one of the best things that we can do is simply to remind other believers about the basic truths of the gospel and, and their implications for life. So you might be thinking, you know, I don't really have anything to teach. Well, actually you do. If you are a Christian, you do. Um, look at verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers. Hey, this is... Paul to Titus, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. And he goes on, um, he talks about the, the glory of the gospel, verses 4 and 5, but when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, 
He saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done. He goes on to talk about our justification, verse 7, and notice verse 8. This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, well, what things? The Gospel, verses 1-7, through and its implications. Concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that, notice who he's talking to, or talking about, not unbelievers. Those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. So what's the value of the Gospel? Yes, it saves us. Amen to that. But it also sanctifies us, doesn't it? The the implications of the Gospel is what changes us. And that's the thing that we need to use to remind other people. Listen, the Gospel is is important and it is critical to your spiritual life. And we, we need to constantly remind ourselves and others of the basic truths and what it, um, what it does. Look again at the end of verse 8. These things are good and profitable for men. Okay, so your discipling relationship does not mean that you have to get into the deep study of the Scripture and understand what the movable new is in, in the Greek language and all this. Okay. Um, it's actually in Hebrew. Uh, I had to think about that for a second. Uh, but but all these you know uh, deep studies that may may or may not be helpful. Okay, but do what you can do because you have the gospel, and give them at least a little bit for them to uh, to consider and something that you've learned and are working on yourself. Number five, I'm not gifted in that way. Hey, there are other people in this church that are more gifted than I am, and so I'll just let them disciple others. Here's excuse number five. And we need to recognize that, that yes, it's true that some people do have the gift of teaching, that they have a special gift to be able to take truth and to be able to say it in a way that's memorable and helpful, and they're able to answer questions and refute error. But I hope you also recognize that every single one of us has a gift. And as I mentioned, everyone is a discipler. The question is, what kind of a discipler are we? Right? Everyone uh, has a responsibility to disciple. And, and we can. There are people who have been saved for less time than us or have been saved for longer time than us that are uh, more immature spiritually than we are. No matter where you are in your Christian life, there is someone more spiritually immature than you are. Is that true? Okay. And and most likely, they are here in this church. Okay. There are people that are more immature than you even in this church. Maybe it's only one person. Maybe it's ten people. Maybe it's forty people. Okay. But you have someone that you can take the 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 truth that you have, pass it on to someone else, um, and maybe it's simply by listening to their struggles. Maybe you have a gift of, of just interacting really well with other people. And some of these people who know it all, they, they, they're not good listeners. You know, some, some of the people are great teachers, maybe terrible at listening, and, and maybe you're good at that. Maybe you can just simply model how you've lived the Christian life to them. You know, take them along in your life. Invite them over to your house. Let them see what it's like to live like you live. Okay, not not in a uh, proud or an arrogant way. Like here, I'm I'm on display. You you sit there and watch me. Not that sort of idea. But but listen, I uh, you know, 
as a discipler, as a person who has been saved for a while, you ought to have some things that you know that they don't know. And some things that you know, and maybe even they know, but they're not doing. But you are. Okay, there should be some of those things. Don't take it as, okay, back to the authority one. I don't want to be in a position of authority. Right, people will think that I'm misusing it and I'm trying to lord it over them. Okay, this is your act of service to them by by using the gifts that you have to model Christian living. Your goal is to be a conduit of the truth. Discipling is not um, something that you do on your own. Fundamentally, apart from their own understanding of the Gospel, the most important thing you can do for a Christian friend is to help them get involved in the local church. Okay? If you see someone in our church that attends less regularly than you, then you should encourage them to attend more regularly. And uh, we have a passage of Scripture that tells us to do that very thing. Hebrews 10. Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Okay, Encourage one another. Hebrews 3. Day after day, as long as it is called today, so that you will not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see, God has set up an institution by which we can take part in discipling but we don't have to do it alone. It happens primarily through the local church. And as you encourage one another, it takes a church to to make a disciple. Discipling should never be thought of as an individual project or an individualistic endeavor, but as a community project. All right, any thoughts on excuses? All right, perhaps you can think of some others, but those are... um, just five that that I wanted to present to you. Let's think about some uh, overcoming fears of discipling. Um, so if we get if we were to get past all the excuses for discipling, if if you know these five and maybe all the other excuses that you can think of, you say you know what I'm I'm past that. Okay, I, I've I, I recognize the importance of discipling. I can do it. Uh, I need to do it. Um, but you know I'm a little bit fearful. And I think it's helpful to have a good measure of healthy, holy fear about this task, right? This is this is something that is has eternal ramifications. Discipleship should not be taken lightly. And so a little bit of healthy fear is a good thing. In Matthew 18, Jesus welcomed the little children. And many think that this passage is really just about kids and how Jesus loves kids. And that, that's part of it. And He certainly does love kids children. Um, But the purpose of that whole uh, conversation and and episode was was that Jesus was showing that that adults need to be careful with how they believe in Christ. In verse 6 we read that that we don't want to be causing God's children to stumble. And then I think later on he says something about um, that we need to have faith like a little child. Um, we we cannot cause God's children to stumble. And I think while it's true that yes, we shouldn't cause actual children to stumble spiritually, I think it's I think a, a larger point is we should not cause any believer to stumble. And we have proof of that in Romans fourteen and fifteen. Paul says, you know, I I I want to be I I want to be careful with how I live because I don't want to use my liberty 
That is, my freedom to do whatever I can I, I want to do, okay, in a non-sinful way. But my freedom, I don't want to use that as as a, a, something that's going to cause someone else to stumble. Um, and so we, I think we need to have a healthy fear that you know we want to be help move. We want to help move people on to greater godliness, but we also don't want to send someone off in the wrong direction. So how do we deal with these fears of failure, dealing with, you know, uh, maybe not cutting the mustard? Um, what are some fears that we might have as we approach discipling relationships? Well, I think the fears are very similar to the, a lot of the fears that we have with evangelism. You know, that when I meet with someone for the purpose of discipling them, they're going to ask me a question that I can't answer. Okay? Or... Uh, you know, we're going to be talking about something about the Bible and I might say something wrong because i got to be honest with you, when I come to study the Scriptures for myself and then when I come to study them with other people, I often see things that I missed and sometimes I completely misinterpret the passage. Okay, And so when I come to discipling relationship, if I speak authoritatively about the Word of God where I'm not sure, I could actually say something wrong. Another potential fear is that we won't live out a perfect Christian life in front of our friend. You know, they'll see us sin. Or maybe it's that, you know, I'm just too immature myself. Or that we simply will fail. Or the person might hate us and reject us. They don't want our help. In all the, these things, we need to remember that God is the one that help, helps us overcome our fears. Psalm 56. Psalm 56.3 says, When I am afraid, what? I will trust in you. Right? This is David talking about a time when he was uh, fearful in battle. And so we need to, to work through that. And there are several passages that I've listed for you there. Um, it's ultimately a work that God has to do. Uh, we don't have time to go through these, but um, remember, you're not going to be perfect. You're not going to say everything perfect. But, but you know, God can even use those times to help disciple someone else, even if you don't do it perfectly. Okay? Um, is it not true that... Okay, let's think about this in terms of, of listening to sermons. Okay, is it not true that there are pastors, including myself, who don't always say things in the most helpful ways, they don't always know how to explain things, and they may even say something that's completely opposite of what the scriptures teach, and yet you can still learn from that. Okay, you can still grow from that. God can still use the scripture to change your view and to change um, to change you. And so I think the same way. Don't don't worry so much about saying all the right words uh, as much as okay. Listen, I need to get them to the scriptures. I need to point them to God's truth. That's the most loving thing that we can do. All right. Um, let's see. Did I list out some? Yeah, practical steps. I encourage you to read through those. Write out your own excuses for discipling. Think about your schedule, and then take some time, um, even this morning from this morning class or or this morning sermon, and and talk to people about it. Use it as a means to disciple. All right. Any quick thoughts? All right. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you that the the gospel did not stop with the with the people before us.
Thank you that the gospel does not stop with us. Lord, help us to use it, to, to dispense it, to see it expand and grow so that your kingdom, although it started like a little mustard seed, will grow up and fill up the whole earth. And uh, we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.